Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Anything Everything. It has been a minute. I don't think I've done another episode since like maybe September. We have a lot to cover. There's a lot going on. Um, so let's jump right in. Today, um, I am recording in my office, which has nothing on the walls, which is why it sounds very echo echoey. Um, nothing on my walls yet. But um, let's just catch up with what's been going on in my life and why we haven't talked in literal months. Okay, um, there was a... If you remember going back a couple of months um there was an announcement that i didn't necessarily share with everybody um i was like oh my goodness there's like a lot of things going on in life right now i can't wait to share and then like i almost never share them yeah um i got married (laughs) um i got married and i moved out of my parents house so i am no longer in virginia i am now in texas um which is very exciting it's new scenery um and also i am a dog mom now i am a mother of two beautiful puppies um one is a lab mix and she's like a golden almost like a like a burnt honey kind of color um and her name is ellie and then we have a dalmatian and german shepherd mix and his name is Marco and he is like mostly black but his two front paws and the area around his neck is um spotted like a Dalmatian which is really really cool um I have started working I have gone back to school so everything's going great it's really just a lot has a lot of readjustment has been going on the last couple of months Um, hence why we haven't spoken and I haven't gone on here in a really, really long time. And I know that I said that I would try to be better about it, but in between, like, packing for a move and planning a wedding and everything, um, it was a bit much, to say the very fucking least. It was a bit much. Um, I kind of got sidetracked and a little loo, so, um, now... Let's get into it. Um, For today, I specifically wanted to talk about what is going on in TikTok, which is the Hunger Games. I think everybody's For You page is filled with the Hunger Games right now. Um, I am a big, big, big dystopian, like, young adult novel kind of gal. That's right up my alley. Um, And it's also right up my husband's alley as well. I don't know what just dropped. Oh, it was a key. Um, (laughs) It's right up my husband's alley as well. Um, And when we learned that the Hunger Games were on Netflix, we actually went ahead and like basically binged them all. Um, I don't, he said that he saw like the first movie, but he was like, I don't think I saw the rest of them. And I was like, oh my God, well, you have to like watch them. But he also hasn't read the books. Um, But I have the books so it's all good i honestly think that the hunger games is trending because the battle of sombers and snakes um i guess is turning into a movie adaptation as well and if you don't know what that is i am not even gonna lie because the book came out 
a little bit after I was in my dystopian novel era. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it is the prequel to The Hunger Games. Um, and I believe it's set around like one of the first Hunger Games or something like that. And just giving a little bit more of a backstory to the history of Panem and how we've come to have The Hunger Games for literally 75 years. Um, which is really exciting. I haven't read the book. I, like I said, it kind of came out when I was past this era of, um, literature in my life. So I didn't really, I mean, it struck my fancy, but I most definitely didn't like pick it up to read it or anything like that. Um, like I said, I also have like no idea what the setting is. I have no idea what the story is or anything like that. I just know that it's part of the Hunger Games world. Um, and a lot of people are, like, starting to go back into the Hunger Games and really, like, go in-depth with it, which I think is really, really cool because now we're also comparing the movies to the books, and I am a big, the books are always better than the movies kind of gal. Um, I've always believed that, and I mean, you don't hate me. I mean, you may not think so. We can totally have a different opinion um but I definitely think that the books are way better than the movies they just give you details and backstories that you don't see in the movies or that the movies may not capture as well as the words do um and with that I kind of really want to give my two cents on Bunger Games so there are two creators that I have been watching their in-depth analysis on the Hunger Games one is I believe her at is Lucky Lefty on TikTok both of these are TikToks by the way um one of them is Lucky Lefty um I have been watching her videos the way that she talks is very articulate I I absolutely love it I could listen to her talk all day about the Hunger Games or really anything um but her and I seem like we seem to have this like trying to think of how to say it like we pick up on the tiny details that the books give that the movies don't necessarily um portray in its full light like it should have um so I'm going to read just a couple of the things that I have written down about the Hunger Games that like just certain things that we didn't get to see I'm probably going to continue this with Catching Fire and Mockingjay Part 1 and Mockingjay Part 2. Um, just because this is, this hits home for me. This is where, like, I, like, The Hunger Games, Divergent, The Maze Runner, like, those were the books that I was literally carrying in my backpack from, like, 6th to 8th grade, and there is nothing that anybody could tell me to not read them at all. I believe, like, if you know how thick of a book Divergent is, I honestly read that in a day. Like, just sitting on my couch as my, and I re vividly remember my mother cleaning around me as I'm reading Divergent, and I, like, I think I read it at break. I believe I started at breakfast, and by the time, by the time dinner came around, I was already finished. And I remember my parents asking me where I was at in the book or like if I'm almost done. And I said, oh yeah, I finished it like 10 minutes ago. And they were like, wow. Like they just could not believe that like I read that fast. But then again, my parents also aren't really readers as well. Like they're more, eh, 
and the movie like I'll just watch the movie kind of people they do agree that the books are better than the movies but they would rather just sit for like a two-hour movie I'm like this movie can honestly be four hours I don't know why we're not getting the whole details um <laughs> but the Hunger Games is very it's a very dear story and now that I'm rereading and reanalyzing as an adult the parallels between the Hunger Games and like modern day America is it's absolutely trippy which of course yes Panem is like re the United States reimagined and a little bit further in the future but come on like it Suzanne Collins knew what she was doing and she ate and left no crumbs on all of these books I mean her writing is absolutely phenomenal her parallels are chef's kiss and her app her metaphors in the books don't even get me started on the metaphors um that's gonna be like a whole episode by itself um but first off I really want to talk about what struck home with me is Katniss and her mother's relationship I am gonna talk a little bit about maybe Catching Fire maybe Mockingjay as I'm like reanalyzing all of this so if you haven't seen those don't even don't, if you haven't even seen the first Hunger Games don't even listen to the rest of this video or the video Jesus Christ don't want don't listen to the rest of this podcast um go ahead and listen to any other episode except for this one because this one is most definitely we're going all in um I'll let you have your moment to go ahead and click out Okay, so for those of you that are still here, you obviously have already seen or read The Hunger Games or you know a little bit about The Hunger Games. This is for my diehard fans. These are for like the people that literally analyze the books and analyze the movie. Like I was also the kid that if I had the book of a movie adaptation, I would bring the book to watch the movie and be like, oh, they didn't put that in there. I will literally sit there and criticize it. You can ask my mother and my father. They literally have seen me do that crap. They've seen me do it with The Fault in Our Stars. They've seen me do it with Paper Towns, The Hunger Games, Divergent, like literally any movie that is based on a book, I've done it. I've done it and I'm not ashamed. And, and what about it? Like, I'm crazy. Okay, whatever. Um... But anyways, Katniss and her mother not getting along and having kind of an estranged relationship. This really hit home for me because it kind of, it was kind of a parallel between something that happened in my family as well. Like my dad didn't die or anything, but my dad ha like was deployed for a good, good amount of high school and all the while with high school I also like my, I had my little siblings um and my baby brother was literally a baby um so there was kind of the whole stepping up portion that I really resonated with Katniss on um but I honestly think in the movies you kind of just see that they give us a glimpse of like oh Katniss's mother went to a depressive episode after their father died and Katniss is kind of mad at her for it that's really all that the movie really gives us it doesn't really give us any backstory whereas the books does give us the backstory which I believe should have been 
incorporated into the movie so that we could give a better understanding of her and her mother's relationship and just why Mrs. Everdeen is like this as a whole so that it's not like she's the most deplorable character ever and like because I remember when it came out everybody started hating on Mrs. Everdeen but like if you understood why she is the way she is and why she went through that depressive episode to a point where Katniss was like okay well what the hell is going on we're gonna rearrange some things and this is gonna be our life now you kind of need to know what the hell Mrs. Everdeen went through so let's start off with already her mom was born in like obviously district 12 is the most like it's the poorest district I mean literally in the movie, like, they didn't even know what showers were. They literally took cold baths, bro. And, like, probably reused that water, let's be honest. District 12, obviously the poorest district. However, there were there were parts of the district that were a little bit more higher ranking than the others. With Mrs. Everdeen originally coming from the market side of District 12... And her husband coming from the seam, which the seam is the poorest side of of District 12, inarguably. Um, but let's see that her Mrs. Everdeen's best friend gets reaped during the 25th Hunger Games, which is the first quarter quell. Or actually, I don't, th- I don't even... Let me let me check this out because I don't even think it was the first. No, it wasn't. It couldn't have been. It had to be the second quarter coil. Actually, no, it's the first. It's the first quarter coil. Okay, so. Mrs. Everdeen's best friend, sorry, I had a fact check there before y'all come at me about it. Um, Mrs. Everdeen's best friend gets reaped during the first quarter quell. Which is absolutely crazy. Because in the first quarter quell, that was the quarter quell where the districts could actually take a vote and volunteer what... 12 to 18 year old that they wanted to send off to fight it wasn't a oh you put your name in a drawing and like no like the people of your district literally sat down and took a vote and was like we're gonna send whoever the hell to go ahead and represent district 12 and that be that so already right there and it also being a quarter quell i mean come on Anyways, her, like, Mrs. Everdeen's best friend gets reaped during the first Coraquel. Crazy in and of itself. Um, so she has to deal with that grief. Then, coming along, you have Mrs. Everdeen, who is from the market side of District 12, and her husband coming from the scene and her parents disapproving of their relationship because the market was a little bit out of um the seams league and her parents disapproving of the relationship all in all just 
I mean, obviously led her to want to be with him even more. They fell in love, eventually have two kids, and then just as life gets to be a little bearable, then we have the mining accident um, where Mr. Everdeen inevitably dies. And this sends Mrs. Everdeen into a depressive state. And what really bothered me about the movies is that it kind of just glossed over how bad the depressive state was. Like, all we really get from how bad it was is just right before Katniss departs to go to the Capitol, Katniss talking very sternly to Mrs. Everdeen and saying... You have to be there. You can't check out again. Not like last time. And her mom shaking her head in agreement and being like, yes, okay, I understand you. That's really all that we get from how depressed Mrs. Everdeen was. Like, she was in such a catatonic state. She literally, she literally accepted death because the sole provider for their family had just died. She has two little girls. She doesn't have a job. She doesn't really have any other skill other than, you know, being, like, having an apothecary and learn, sorry, <laughs> learning a little bit about what herbs um, are good for you and what herbs are bad for you. Like, that's literally it. This girl has, like, no other train, like, she wasn't the sole provider. So then Katniss, seeing this, she's kind of resents her mother for being in this state and being like okay like our dad is gone you've left us in the like we're in the most vulnerable state and you are here physically but mentally and emotionally you are on another planet and we need to eat like prim and katniss literally being on the verge of starvation has led Katniss to resent her mother like why are you not there for us in the most vulnerable time of our life our dad just died your husband just died we're literally on the verge of starvation but I don't think that because of Katniss being so young her she doesn't recognize that her mother has ultimately accepted that they are going to end up dying and has accepted death on their on her own terms with that being that she's not going to care about herself anymore, but in turn, her also not caring so much about Katniss and Prim. But then Katniss also, on the other hand, is like, this literally isn't your fault. This is kind of out of your hands. You can't just snap out of it. And like, this is, it's not something that you just turn on and turn off really quick. Like, it's not... Mrs. Everdeen's choice to go ahead and be this way or be um, in the state. She's not doing it voluntarily. She's literally in a state of shock. Like, she's lost her best friend. She's has no contact with her, her family. She, her husband just died. She has two little kids to provide for, and she's not the sole provider at all. She has no way of scavenging or um, hunting or anything like that. It has nothing of value to go ahead and continue to trade in the scene for goods or anything like that. But then Katniss goes ahead and steps up and becomes the sole provider for her family, which I think is very honorable and noble, um, especially at such a young age. But then we also see that as Prim gets to be a little bit older, um, 
the books also explain that her mother took a little bit more caring to Prim and was teaching Prim apothecary and how to become an apothecary and like teaching her all of the science between behind um healing people and healing herself um as Katniss kind of took on what seems to be traditionally the more masculine jobs um such as hunting and going out of the house and trading and doing all of this however it is the saddest thing that we see throughout the hunger games throughout catching fire throughout really the whole series that they are still so estranged that Katniss does not allow herself to be that vulnerable with her own mother ever again in life until in Mockingjay, Prim's, Prim's death is when they come together and they mend their relationship. That is the saddest thing because I think, like, I can just think of all that Prim really wanted, like, Prim was the glue that was really holding Katniss and her mother together. Because otherwise, I honestly think if Prim wasn't alive, if Prim, I don't think in any world Katniss would not have volunteered for Prim. But had Prim been reaped, and for whatever reason, Katniss did not volunteer you may hate me for saying this, but inarguably, I think Prim would not have lasted. I don't think she would have, I don't think she would have lasted the first, like, eight hours, if I'm being completely honest with you. But had Prim gone into the actual games, Katniss didn't volunteer to take her place, Prim died, I do not think that Katniss and her mother would ever, one, mend their relationship, or two, uh, I don't, I do not believe that Katniss would even stay with their mom at all. I think that that would have been a relationship that was already destroyed, crumbled, gone, forever, lost. Prim was really the only person and the only thing that was keeping them in contact with each other and keeping them cordial with each other because even though Katniss understood that it wasn't Mrs. Everdeen's choice to go ahead and go into that state of pure oblivion she still had the well why didn't you take care of us aspect as a child which is very understandable and it's very valid I, I don't think anything could have mended that until ultimately Prim's death. And Prim really just wanted her mom and her sister to be on good terms. Like, and that didn't even happen. Prim didn't even get to see it. Because Prim's death was ultimately the one thing that brought them together. Which is, which is really sad. That was, that took me a minute to, wrap my head around and also took me a minute to not to be able to like speak about it and like not cry because that's a very touching subject for me um 
absolutely sad. Absolutely saddening. We're going to move on. <laughs> um, but I think that that is, that is one of the biggest things that I think that the movies just kind of gloss over without really giving any backstory to their relationship and why their relationship is the way it is. And not giving any backstory on Mrs. Everdeen was a big failure, I think, in the movie's part. Although I love the movies, there's some things that could have been better translated. Um, this next one also being the mutts, the wolf mutts, um, specifically. In the book, the mutts are described to be, like, first of all, they're heavily detailed, heavily detailed. Um, they are described to resemble almost uncannily the fallen tributes um, that have died so far in the games to the point where PETA literally asks in like questions if the capital used the fallen tributes eyes in the mutts. Um, these mutts were supposed to kind of, um, they're supposed to resemble the fallen tributes so much in a way that one, they were wearing the collar they were wearing a collar with the number of the district that they were from. Their fur was the same color as their hair. And their eyes were so human-like that, like I said, PETA literally had to question, did the Capitol use, literally use the Fallen Tribute's eyes in these mutts? And they also stood up on their hind legs and walked on them in the way a human would. Um... I think that that is something that the movies heinously glossed over. I do not think it was right of them to go ahead and do that because it just shows how absolutely... I'm trying to find the word for it. I'm so sorry. I'm really trying to find the word for it. But in better terms... Like, the capital is literally, it's a, it's a power trip for them. It's literally a power trip for them. I will say, in the movies, I believe that the mutts literally are all black or whatever. And you don't hear, um, and you, you kind of don't see, you don't get the look on PETA and Katniss's face Faces of, oh my gosh, like, what? Like, these are the fallen tributes. Like, what is going on? Like, them coming to that realization, I really wanted to see be brought to life in the movie adaptation. And unfortunately, we never got that. Um, and we also don't really get to see another important aspect, really important aspect um, of hearing which I don't think anybody wanted to hear this but for me reading the books first it was really important hearing Cato scream in pain for hours as after Katniss goes ahead and fucking shoots him and like he falls backwards off the cornucopia and the mutts get him. In the books, it's literally described that he 
is mauled for hours and Peta and Katniss are literally just listening to it go on and on and on. Now realistically, with how big those mutts are and with how how much force they wielded, oh, he would have been dead within like minutes. But with with him dying and like him screaming for hours and hours and hours on end, it was a torture tactic for both Katniss and Peeta. And that leads me into my next thing with Kato. Kato is different from any of the other careers in the way that Katniss wants to intentionally kill Kato off of first rip. Now, he literally resembles all of the negative all the negative qualities that careers hold, he fully embodies them. He is arrogant. He he's arrogant. He literally doesn't um Hold on. What the hell? Ah. Sorry. He's literally arrogant. He is bloodthirsty. He seeks to find glory in these games, which is funny enough because it seems like the careers are literally, like they are literally Foonsped this lie, this absolute deceiving lie of, oh, if you win the games, there's great honor and great glory that comes with that to the point where they're literally taught in school how to become a warrior. Now, with this, it's also saddening to think that when Kato is on top of the cornucopia with Peta and Katniss, he doesn't realize the magnitude of the games and doesn't realize that he's been fed, he's been spoon-fed this lie by with propaganda and with the admiration from the capital until he loses Clove, which is interesting to think because of Glimmer's tactic. I'll get into Glimmer's tactic in a little bit. But it isn't until he loses Clove that that's when he realizes, oh shit, the games really are not a game. This is literally purely for the Capitals, one, entertainment, and two, for them to go ahead and try to hold the districts accountable and to keep the districts separated and divided so that the districts can no longer come together to go ahead and create a, an act of rebellion against the capital that resulted all the way back when, 75, 74 years prior, the first Hunger Games. And we see this when he says, when he's literally talking about how he doesn't know anything else. There's really nothing else for him to go back home to. He's literally, his whole world has shifted in these, in these few moments. Now, I, I forget in the book exactly how long Peta, Katniss, and Kato were on top of the cornucopia, like, fighting and being like, yo, what's going on here? <laughs> Um, 
But we see in that span of time, we get to visually see that Kato's whole world has completely shifted, crumbled, fallen apart, and been destroyed by just the death of Clove alone. Which is interesting because now Katniss is starting to feel some kind of sympathy for him because she's like, this is something that we've all known and you're just now realizing it. <clears throat> kind of mm, crazy. But nonetheless, she ends up killing Cato and we know the how the fall of his demise, like how his demise comes to be. Um, now I say that it was interesting that Cato didn't realize that the games are not actually a game, but just a scare and torture tactic from the capital until Clove's death. Because of Glimmer's tactic or her technique or whatever the case may be, is because in the books, Glimmer is described as not a hunter, not a scavenger, but very smart, which Glimmer is. In the books, it is described that when she comes on the stage to talk with Caesar Flickerman, her outfit is sheer and nude, giving that kind of sexual exploitation um, as to making her desirable. Now, this is, is going to go into the catching fire talk, but we know that what being desirable gets you in the capital with Johanna, um, Finnick, and Cashmere and Glosses all backstory. Like, we already know what that gets you. However, with, Gl with Glimmer not really understanding, like, the full depth of it, it, I will say that it was very smart because once you're desirable and you think that you can win and you pr show that you can be liked, it gets you sponsors. Sponsors then get you supplies that you need to survive, which then gets you to survive so for her to come on stage in this nude in the sheer nude gown and um literally flirt with caesar it it's kind of funny because then she then adhered to cato and kind of was like adhesive on him like literally stuck on him one i would say because he's very brute Okay, he's very brute, he's very muscular, he's very strong, he's also very fucking arrogant. Which, boys out there, it's not that attractive. Do no. But she in inadvertently is hiding behind Kato and his clique because, I mean, also, Glimmer is also from a career district. But let's be honest, when we see her with a bow and arrow... We see that one, she is automatically, like just off rip, she's not as skilled as Katniss. But we do see that she has the bow and arrow, which subsequently was, I honestly think that was Clove's idea. Because Clove being insecure, which I'm going to get into that because everybody is like she pers she tried to come off as very confident. Oh, I can kill you. I can kill anybody from like 12 feet away. She comes off as very insecure. Everything that she does is very insecure. And we also see that in the books, Clove is described to have this kind of um, 
kill all or kill none nature whenever she feels threatened. And so for Clove to get a score of 10 by the game makers and Katniss to get a score of 11, we see that she off the rip does has a distaste for Katniss all because of the one extra point that the game makers gave her that was one point above Clove's score. So already they also don't know what her what Katniss's skill is so for them to go ahead and if you pay close attention they along with the mind that was built around the careers like survival mountain um you also see that each one of the careers has multiple weapons cloves being a full pack of knives but not only that, she also had a machete. Kato mainly just had a machete and his fists. Glimmer had the bow and arrow, and she also had, um, I want to say she also had a dagger. And then we see Marvel, who had the spear. And then we see the other boy or whatever the hell that had... A, like a full-on sword or maybe maybe he had the machete I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch but they all had multiple weapons so they didn't know what Katniss's strength was they did not know what what caused her to get an 11 but they took literally anything that Katniss could possibly get her hands on just in case because they saw her as an immediate threat and although Glimmer wasn't as skilled as Katniss at archery, we see that she was still mm, somewhat of a good shot. She wasn't the she wasn't the brightest in terms of. First of all, she should have ran away from the Tracker Jackers instead of like, ah, oh my, which I mean I can't really say the same thing because I mean if I was being swarmed by bees, I probably would sit there and swat them all as well, but. I'm going to run as well. I'm going to run as I do it because I'm getting away from that area. Um, but I just thought that that was interesting to see that Glimmer literally adhered herself to Kato. Sorry, that was a big wraparound. Um, it was funny to see that Glimmer literally adhered herself to Kato only for Kato to go ahead and be completely broken and obstructed when Clove died. And that was the death that made him realize. That was the death that he literally went ahead and took his little fingers and wiped his eyes to the reality of what is going on in these games and what these games actually mean and it wasn't even glimmer's death was not even glimmer's death i just think that that was ironic and uncanny um another thing that i think should have most definitely been in the movies that were in the books are the avoxes now, for my movie people, if you don't know what the AVOXs are because you haven't read the books, AVOXs are traitors of the capital um, where the capital cut out their tongues. Now, traitor is very fluid. It could literally mean anything. It could mean anything from mentioning a little disdain of one capital activity all the way to like full-fledged anarchy. Okay, so wide range of what being a traitor could be. Um, but I think it's very important because there's a parallel between Avoxes and Katniss. Whenever 
Katniss and Gale go beyond the district's borders to go ahead and catch game or whatever the case may be or to even just escape for a little bit and get away from the district. Anytime that they do that, they are willingly risking the chances of becoming an AVOX, which automatically we see right there, Katniss's willingness, willingness to go ahead and put herself above, to put herself, put, not put herself before her family, but to put her family before herself. And it's really funny because AVOXs are typically what people think is a fate worse than death. Okay, you're not able to speak, and AVAXs are typically given the wor the absolute worst jobs in the capital, like bottom of the barrel jobs. However, when we see Katniss going out beyond the borders, and we see her returning to go ahead and trade some game with the local merchants in the market, like she automatically she she knows. She knows the absolute possibility that that could be her fate. But she's like, I'm willing to be an AVOX if it means that I can feed my family one more time. That's it. That's all. And I think that's very selfless in and of itself. I'm not going to talk about Gail because I am part of the Gail hate club. I do not like Gail. I think that it is... They just were never right for each other. I'm going to say it. But he was also very arrogant and thought that he was, he was very cocky and very much like, oh, I deserve Katniss. I've been with her the longest, da, 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 and all this other stuff. And I'm like, dude, you don't even know Katniss for real. Like, you just know each other because you met when you guys were young and live in the same district and have the same responsibilities on your shoulders with Katniss being the eldest and him also being the eldest like what are we talking about here um but yeah I am on the Gale hate club don't do not come in the comment section with PETA hate club I don't I'm not reading it I'm deleting it I do no abs absolutely not not at all um Jesus Christ I've been talking for 42 minutes already um, not to say that I don't like talking to you all. My ear does hurt, though, from me not having my headphones on for, like, the longest time. Um, I kind of want to go into Foxface. Now, we are never given her true name. We're never given anything other than... Um, she has the face of a fox. But if you, there are like cuts, um, and recordings of the interviews with all of the tributes that were filmed, which never made, which never made it to the big screen, which I'm very upset about because I, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll, um, I'll probably post the TikTok or like repost it and give the the original creator credits. But I watched it the other day and it was very interesting to see like the tributes answers to Caesar's questions and see Caesar's questions also as well. Um, but I want to talk about Foxface and her her death. Okay, 
Foxface is not a hunter. She's not a fighter. She is a scavenger. And we see that she is incredibly smart. And I think that her death is interesting and also very intricate in the way that it can be interpreted multiple ways. So, as we all know, she dies by taking a handful of Nightlock when Peta and Katniss are scavenging for food. Um, in the books, Nightlock is described as um, a poisonous berry that only grows in District 12 and parts of District 13. So is almost exclusive to that sector of Panem alone. Um, with Foxface being outside of District 12, we can see that she may not have had any recollection of what Nightlock even is. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, this is probably the like most accurate theory is that she just didn't know what it was and she was following Peter around to eat and fell to her demise. Don't know how I feel about this one because because the, the other one I, I truly I truly enjoy. Um, but we within that we also see Peta who has lived in District Twelve his entire life as he's picking the berries. He has no idea what Nightlock even looked like. He didn't even know what it was. And with the cannon going off and Katniss li Katniss's heart literally dropping and she's like Peta, what are you doing? Like that's Nightlock. Now I'll kill you in seconds. And he's like. Oh, I didn't know. He's literally lived in District 12 his whole life and doesn't even know what Nightlock is. Then again, the berry, I will specify, does grow outside of District Borders, which is why Katniss knows what it is. Because she goes outside of the borders, but within the borders of District 12 alongside District 13, nonetheless. Um, so that's one theory, is that Foxface just simply didn't know. Now, this other theory is the one that I have always thought. I never really took a chance to go ahead and look back on it and be like, oh, wow, like, I guess it that makes sense, like, that the Nightlock does only grow in District 12 and parts of District 13. But his theory is that Foxface willingly commits suicide with this berry and makes it look like an accident um, by when by following PETA whenever he is picking Nightlock and because he's picking it and he doesn't know what it is, her being like, Oh, and before, I mean, she, she honestly, she's really smart. She's made it down to top five. I mean, between, at this point, it is literally down to her, Thresh, Kato, Pita, and Katniss. So she already sees that her chances of winning are literally slim. She, because like I said before, she's not a fighter. She's not a hunter or anything like that. She is... A scavenger, which we can see her doing the little memory uh, plant thing in training when they tra train all together as uh, the 24 tributes. But we see that she literally takes a nightlock, takes a handful of nightlock, and drops. And she, the theory is that she chose her own way out and it was on her terms and it was quick and painless and. She got out. And that's 
the one that I personally like because I like women empowerment. I like taking your life into your own hands and she literally did. So she probably was honestly like before Peta and Katniss, Thresher Kato could, could kill me. I'm just going to go ahead and take myself out because it's probably going to be a really long and slow death. Which, honestly, I think Foxface and Katniss would have gotten along. However, then if they did get along, then would be the question of if it wasn't Katniss and Peeta who came down to the last two, and it was Katniss and Foxface that came down to the last two, who would it be? Or if, if, it, if it even came down to Peeta, Katniss, and Foxface coming down to the last three, who would it be? That would... That would be a heartbreaker for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, that's, that is so far all that I have on the Hunger Games, the original movie. I don't think that there's anything else. Um, I, I totally forgot to do this at the beginning of the episode, but my drink of choice today was peppermint tea with honey and cinnamon. Um, I have been loving and really getting into teas lately. I don't know what it is. I just, I don't know. I just really like tea all of a sudden. Um, but thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you for backtracking with me and going back to my middle school years. Um, it has been an absolute blast. I cannot wait to keep, um, doing these things until Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes comes out. I'll probably even do it after. Like, if you guys really like this episode, I'll probably go ahead and go into the Divergent world and the Maze Runner world as well and kind of do a deep dive analysis on all of those as well. Um, like I said, I got this idea from the creator Lucky Lefty. Um, I will tag her in the caption whenever I post this um whenever I post this episode and then also I will try to find the other creator that I have also been listening to um about the Hunger Games and I will go ahead and find her account and also tag her in the comments as well um thank you so much for listening to this episode it's been great catching up with you guys and getting back into it I truly have miss this and miss you all um i will see you all next week see ya